This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to a special 2-0 edition of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor and I'm joined by Brady and David today. We're going to be breaking down a little bit of our matchup against Western Michigan coming this Saturday. But first, we're going to get into analysis and discussion on the Panthers' 48-42 win over the Furman Paladins. Gentlemen, how are we feeling? Well, it wasn't pretty, but you really can't overstate the significance of the 2-0 of it all. I mean, this is the first time... The program's 2-0 and in the 10-year history. And that's, I mean, that's where the program's been. It's a statement of how things haven't been for the first nine seasons. But it's also to be celebrated as Georgia State fans. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, as Brady said, it wasn't pretty on Saturday. But, you know, they came away with the win. And we, we're definitely going to get into some of the things that we didn't like, namely the defense uh, but I think there was a lot of things that we did like, namely Dan Ellington. So as long as they continue to keep that momentum up, you know, we're not we're going to be talking their praises more than we'll be upset with them. So I thought that Georgia State capitalized on the momentum coming off of that UT win because I definitely could see an alternate future in which the first three quarters of the first half. Georgia State team just continued throughout the rest of that game. I mean, we were down 20 to three with a, what, maybe six minutes left in the second quarter. Um, and the, the offense just came out flat. The defense couldn't get any pressure. And then all of a sudden, you know, they turn it around and suddenly they, they get two quick scores and make a 17 20 going into the half. And it really just seemed like Georgia State never really looked back from there. They scored, I think it was six consecutive drives. Seven, um, six straight touchdowns and then a seven. seven. Yeah, I mean, how often can we say, having watched this team as long as we have, that Georgia State was able to come out and score on seven consecutive drives? I mean, it's just, it's, to me, that was the biggest takeaway that they were, that Tennessee wasn't a fluke. And absolutely no disrespect to Furman because they played a great game and they really pushed Georgia State. They pretty much gave them all that they had. Um, and it was a really, really solid showing for a lot of parts of our team. And they also expose some of the weaknesses of this team that I think that the coaching staff will have their hands full, you know, getting these guys ready to um, go into Western Michigan next week. So, yeah, I guess let's talk about some of the good first. What was interesting is that the offense that ran out there against Furman, the scheme, the plays were not the same as what the game plan wasn't the same as Tennessee. It was basically a different offense. And that's really remarkable because both offenses had success. The Tennessee offense game plan and the Furman offensive game plan were both different and successful. That's very useful. I think last year when we saw this Georgia State team, they kind of got a little one dimension, not one dimensional because they were able to run the ball, but the scheme never really evolved in a way. And so I think the ability to go into Tennessee, play a little bit more smash mouth and then go play, come back home and play Furman and truthfully spread out the offense a lot more than they did against Tennessee. You know, if you go back and watch those first three plays, they ran the same play. It was the same play. They just switched sides once. But it they truthfully just had Dan in an empty back set standing behind everybody, and they just ran timing routes, slants, you know. And it was definitely fun to watch because, as you said, they had success doing it. So the fact that they can put that in their bag of tricks – you know, it's very helpful and it'll help this Panther team be incredibly versatile as the season goes on. To me, it basically means that 
game in and game out, the game plan is going to be exploit where there's a weakness on the other side. It doesn't necessarily seem to me that there's going to be like one way that Georgia State offense runs. I think it's going to be a thing where Coach Glenn and the offensive staff look at the other team and say, which should we emphasize this week based on who the other team is? And that's dangerous because if you execute your game plan, if that's the case, and it is the weakness of the other team, and you're going to have a lot of success. And you're not going to have games where you go into it and what you're trying to do doesn't work if if you're able to execute, like I say. Ultimately, my biggest takeaway from Saturday's game against Furman was we can't give enough props to Dan Ellington's performance. I mean, Dan probably had his best career game. I mean, if you could show me another game where Dan throws for five touchdowns to five different receivers. I mean, just looking at the stat line right here, 29 to 37 for 362 yards. Five touchdowns, no interceptions, quarterback rating in 92.3. I mean, Dan was just lights out, making plays all over the field. He also added on 86 rushing yards on 15 carries. He was able to extend plays with his legs, get defenders to bite, and then open up the field to be able to, uh, you know, create space for our tight ends, our wide receivers. Um, I mean, Dan just all around, I think, was the carrying offensive force that led us to, again, uh, this might be, I think it is the most prolific offense through the first two games, obviously because we're starting two and zero. but the way that we're starting is just so encouraging to me to see Dan take that next step under Brad Glenn and, you know, getting outside the pocket, using his legs to extend plays, taking the ball and running on his own when necessary. And, you know, making sure that everyone is getting involved. And like you said, David, that last year, it seemed like Georgia state kind of got one dimensional, especially because we would get down early. Obviously that lends itself to passing the ball more, but this has been a really balanced offensive attack, but it really all starts under center with Dan Ellington. Absolutely. And it's, it's fun because he, he, he is so dynamic of a quarterback and he is capable of, you know, he can come back after not having a great passing week against Tennessee. He can come back and, you know, absolutely torch a firm and secondary you know, for 362 yards and five touchdowns. That just, that doesn't make sense. That does not make sense. So definitely hats off to him. You know, hats off to the receivers. Cornelius McCoy had an unbelievable game. Um, You know, we talked about coming into the season, who's the guy that's going to replace Penny. And I'm not going to say that it's necessarily him right now because we've only played two games, but he is absolutely making his mark so far in terms of that. So hats off. Truthfully. Yeah. And McCoy led it, but Dixon, Terrence Dixon had a great night. Sam Pickney had a great night, kind of that big body to throw to that we thought he might be. And he really used his, his length to go up and get that touchdown. It was a really great job high pointing the ball in the end zone. And I mean, you can't say enough about the tight ends. They do so much good work in the blocking game. And then Aubrey Payne has caught three passes this year and two of them have been touchdowns. So you really can't beat that efficiency. While we're giving props, I don't think that, again, we can say enough about obviously Dan's performance was lights out, getting everybody involved, but it all starts up up front. And Georgia State's offensive line has been consistently for these last two weeks, absolutely the best unit on the field for the Panthers on either side of the ball, full stop. I mean, Dan didn't get sacked once. They could just tell that he was he had all the time that he needed. They were opening up holes for the running game. They were able to get into that second level and give the opportunity for our running backs to break into those holes and get into the second level of the defense and just create havoc. And they were absolutely lights out in 
this game against Furman. And again, hats off to those guys. Yeah, I mean, on that first, the first touchdown, the Trey Barnett run, it was, you know, the typical <laughs> biggest hole you could ever possibly run through to get a touchdown. And Trey Barnett doesn't need that much space, but he certainly got it on that play. I mean, if Georgia State's going to rush for over 200 yards in every game, we're just going to, we're going to be talking praises for the offensive line every single week. So, and I want to return real quick. We mentioned him and his crazy efficient touchdowns, <laughs> uh, but Aubrey Payne has kind of been the unknown factor. We didn't really every year. There's kind of a guy who steps up and you're like, I didn't know this guy was going to be this good. And I think it's him by a, a long margin this year for Georgia state, because in our preview I mentioned Avery Reese, the freshman, is a possible guy who's going to get some reps just because he could block well. And I know that David also shouted him out in his preview in the team way back in the spring. But I think it's because we didn't know that this guy was this good. Uh, We didn't know that he was going to earn a scholarship after transferring from Western Carolina and come in and really be that solid second tight end behind Roger Carter. And so really good job from him through two games. Um, Definitely interested to see how much he can keep up that efficiency of touchdowns. I'm sure that Georgia state will take him getting more receptions that don't end in a touchdown. But at this point, I, I, you know, if you keep that rate above 60%, I mean, that's just a cool thing. That's what you want to put it at, you know, keep it that high. I do want to take a second also, uh, just while I was cutting the highlights for this game that you can go check out on our YouTube channel, uh, plug in the website, so on and so forth. But I couldn't get over how beautiful of a play that Aubrey Payne touchdown, 20 yards right over the middle. I mean, just a beautiful throw, beautiful catch. Dan had all the time in the world. Easily probably the, the best touchdown play of the night, in my opinion, was that Aubrey Payne touchdown reception over the middle. I mean, just I I don't want to sit here gushing about it, but please go watch the highlight and tell me that you don't agree. I I would put the McCoy touchdown up there. That was also a dime from Dan. Dan But it's not a bad problem to have multiple, like, this is the best touchdown if you're a Georgia State fan. Right, and that's something that I don't know if we've ever really had the luxury of talking about. I mean, just when you have five touchdowns, to five different receivers, the fact that we have the luxury of being able to argue which one was the best, you know, passing touchdown or which one was the prettiest or whatever. These are good problems to have. And honestly, problems that I'm not sure that a lot of Georgia State fans really know what to do with themselves over. You know what I mean? It's going to be about week to week, the offense keeping it up like this, uh, but scoring over 40 points a game through two games it's still significant for Georgia state. There's a lot of season to go and a lot more games where they've got to do it, but it feels like with the offense churning, like they are, there's at least a floor for this team. Cause they might just outscore teams. And last year forgetting the defense, the offense wasn't nearly explosive enough to outscore teams most weeks. And then you add back in the defense. So it'll be interesting to see how much they can keep this up as the season goes on against not an FCS team, because It is worth mentioning they were an FCS defense. So this next couple of games is going to be interesting as far as that goes. See how much through a month, because if they double the number of games, if it's through four games and the numbers are still crazy like they are, you can start saying like this Georgia State offense is legit. Yeah, that's true. I kind of wanted to segue into more defensive talk because we're definitely going to need to start talking about it soon. It's still early and, you know, First of all, I want to give some major, major props to Furman and that staff, and especially to their quarterback, Darren Granger. Whew, man, that man, that kid can ball because 
He absolutely torched Georgia State. I personally have liked what I've seen from the defense a little bit more than I did last year. They've definitely improved on their pass rush. You know, I think they have improved in how they cover guys. But I also think that they're, we're starting to see some trends with the defense, namely with third downs. Um, I have not been particularly pleased with how efficient teams are on third down. Uh, you know, Furman was 6 of 11. It's not great from a defensive standpoint. That's really not great. You know, and Tennessee was 8 of 13. So I think Georgia State's defense is starting to – not make a name for themselves for that, but they're, they're struggling a little bit to get off the field. Um, and, you know, again, I want to give some credit to Darren Granger because he was amazing. And they, Furman called a very well-coached game. But as Brady alluded to in his Upon Further Review, it just seemed like the defense was very slow to react sometimes. And, you know, obviously defenders aren't clairvoyant. I, you know, no one's going to sit there and put the entire blame on them for that. But I think if they can sharpen up those reaction skills and be a little bit better about playing the ball, a lot of their issues and a lot of the yards that they give up will start to come down. Yeah, for me, a lot of the credit does go to Granger and for the offensive staff for Furman. But the thing that I think has been the theme for Georgia State in the first two games on defense has been that it's been a lot of all or nothing as far as there have been plays where they've gotten sacks and those plays have been great because sacks are good and they can stop drives. But when there haven't been the sacks, even when there's been pressure brought, it's not getting there and it's not affecting the play. And so there needs to be, I think, more plays where there's disruption, even if it doesn't get someone on the stat sheet, you know, even if it doesn't result in a loss, if it makes the quarterback uncomfortable, forces a bad throw, that's still a good result. And on the season, Georgia state has 10 tackles for losses, but seven of those are on sacks. And I think you've got to see some more just blowing up plays in the back backfield and getting more tackles for losses without having it be a sack because you need to have more plays that are disruptive, especially like David's saying on third down. I think that there were some third and mediums and third and longs that, I mean, quite frankly, down and distance has to matter. Like you, if you've got a team backed up on third down or if you've got them in a long second down, you've got to be able to say that that's the end of the drive. And there were cases where on the long second down or on the th third down, Furman was converting and that's got to get cleaned up because that's going to be something the teams keep picking on if you keep giving them extra first downs when you shouldn't. I will say that we discussed this kind of after the game that during our prep that we watched, you know, some Furman tape and, you know, we talked about this in our podcast last week was that I feel like the, the Furman came out with a completely different game plan that we were expecting them to. And I think that Georgia State felt that as well. I mean, we were expecting them to be the team that was rushing for an insane amount of yards. And obviously, you know, their first opponent was Charleston Southern. No disrespect to them, but it's just a different caliber of defense they're facing. But they came out and they were throwing the ball all over the place. They were scheming their blocking schemes to give their you know quarterback eons and eons of time. They were tearing us up in the first half. And then you saw Georgia State, you know, start to clamp down a little bit, got a couple of key stops. And then it was just a back and forth, you know, like a foot race of just offense, offense, offense. But, you know, kudos to Furman for being able to pivot. And maybe they saw something on Georgia State's tape against Tennessee that said, hey, maybe we won't want to, uh, you know, get the ball in the air a lot more because we saw a couple of these, you know, key deficiencies that we can take advantage of. But the, that was the biggest takeaway for me is I was just not expecting Furman to come out and they were just, they were throwing the ball all over the place. Credit where credit's due with the defense. They made enough plays in the end. Uh, 
we can sit here most of the podcasts and question the double pass decision from Furman, but the play ended with a big pick from Remy Lazarus, which he took into the Furman red zone. And that might've been the, the biggest play because it kind of broke the cycle. Georgia state couldn't quite put it away. As I alluded to in my article uh, wrapping up the game could have made it a three score game at that point by punching it in the end zone, but it still was a big play. And then the last series Furman started inside their own red zone, couldn't get a first down and the game ended. And I want to say at least part of that was because of the situation. Georgia state wasn't going to get fooled anymore because they knew that Furman was going to be dropping back to pass, but they still, that was the closest they got to consistently affecting throws. It wasn't the full game and it was just the one series, but they got it done. They were the ones who clinched the game out. Hey, you know, if we go to a bend, don't break defense, all that matters is wins, right? Yeah, just less bend and break. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. <laughs> but, you know, now we get to move on to Western Michigan. What do we think? How do we think this game? So this is go? the team. This is the team that we saw last year. Um, this Georgia State team was certainly not the team that they saw last year. So it's going to be interesting to see how they game plan for us. What I'm looking for the most is improvement in the areas that we just talked about on our defense, being able to, like Brady said, disrupt plays in ways that may not necessarily show up on the stat sheet, but just get pressure on their quarterback and being able to just make their quarterback uncomfortable in general is going to be really important for us because that was something we struggled against Furman with. Um, and just being able to not have that all or nothing situation where it's either a crazy sack or it's just three converted, you know, third downs on a row. Being able to get off the field, I think, is going to be key for the Georgia State defense. And coach alluded to what I'm about to say a little bit in his media call this Monday. Uh, but their quarterback, their passing attack is a different beast than what Furman was. It's a lot more stand in the pocket and throw. And their quarterback, Wasink, he's he's kind of a gunslinger. He, he's got a good arm. He's confident in it. So if he gets all day, if the pass rush is in there to make him uncomfortable, he's going to have a field day. Uh, he's not going to necessarily extend plays quite like Ranger did for Furman, but he's got a more dangerous arm in the pocket probably. And so the pass rush, I think for me, is going to be the biggest factor as far as Georgia State's defense goes. Because if they can't get there, he's just going to pick apart. He's got a good tight end, Richie, and he's got a wide receiver who's made some big plays for them already. He's a freshman, Bushel. And those guys are going to find time if the offensive line gives Wasink five seconds, four seconds consistently in the pocket. I mean, he's too good an arm to let get comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, containing Wasink will be really important. Um, and I, I went back to check last year's game against Georgia State and Western Michigan ran the ball 45 times for 294 yards, um, which they no longer have Jamari Bogan. So probably don't have to worry about that necessarily, but especially this game, I'm not so sure that they're going to be able to run the ball that many times because they've obviously, you know, shout out to Michigan State, which probably has the best rushing defense in the country. Um, but, you know, even against Monmouth, Western Michigan didn't run the ball super successfully. And I think especially against Georgia State, you know, you're going to want to be a little bit more versatile because, you know, they only ran the ball 
33 times for 90 yards against Monmouth. And you'd, I mean, when you score 48 points, you'd expect them to be running the ball a little bit more than that. They actually got outrushed in that game, both by Monmouth as a team and by one player. Shout out Peter Guerrero. So it's going to be really important for the Panthers, especially the secondary, to, you know, be able to make plays on the ball, be able to improve on those cover skills. You know, it's going to be very important for those linebackers not to be cheating back because, you know, who knows, maybe Western Michigan will decide, you know, they'll be able to pick up yards and chunks and have big plays if, you know, everybody is truthfully back and defending the pass 100%. Yeah, after saying all I did about their pass attack and their quarterback, I mean, it's still a non-conference play for them and they still are going to want a more balanced team. So having said all I did, it's possible that they look at this game and they're like, we need to find opportunities to run the ball better. I mean, I think the coach is going to look for that. They had a lot of success last year as a team running the ball. And this year through two games, it's a small sample size, but it hasn't been there. But I don't think that Tim Lester is going to go away from it. I think that they're going to try, especially if Georgia State is in sets where it looks like they're waiting on the pass. I think they're going to take opportunities and they're going to try and have that success on the ground they haven't had yet. Uh, I mean, Levante Bellamy was a 1,200-yard rusher last year, had some big runs. I don't think that that talent's gone anywhere, whether it's been the line hasn't been opening up holes or whether it has been just they haven't messed with the good thing with the passing game or whether it was that Michigan State's really good rush defense has deflated the stats through two games. I don't think that they're going to totally ignore it. I don't think we're watching a thing where we've seen some Georgia State teams in the past that were – rushing under 100 yards a game and it was legitimately because they couldn't do it i think that it's possible we see a concerted effort especially early from western michigan to try and get the run game going and so georgia state's got to get ready what caught them against Furman was not really knowing what was coming uh missing on play recognitions and just not being ready for Furman's choices and so early on i think they need to make a statement that they're prepared and that they're not going to get caught like that and go down early because there's no guarantee against Western Michigan that if you go down 17 again, you can just come back like that. The offense is good, but you can't bank on that. Yeah, it's definitely not ideal. Speaking of the offense, pivoting to that side of the ball from the Georgia State perspective, I think that the key for this game is, again, like I said earlier, it's all going to start up front. The offensive line has been the strength of this offense and has enabled Dan Ellington to have the kind of performance that we saw against Berman. And if we're going to have a chance of replicating that, he's got to have one time to pass and let those guys, you know, run their routes, get it open and two, be able to open up holes in the running game, both for our running backs and for Dan Ellington to be able to get outside the pocket, make plays with his legs, extend plays when need be. And just in general, I think that the offensive line is going to be a key factor for us specifically with matching up against a team that we struggled with offensively last year. Um, And I think that they're going to come out and they're going to show a lot of different looks on defense. And it's just going to be, I think that our offensive line is up to the challenge, but that's something I'm specifically going to be watching for on Saturday. Yeah. I'll, I'll say from what I've seen of Western Michigan so far this year, especially against Monmouth, it was a really aggressive defense. There was a lot of blitzes. There's a lot of movement uh, up front. And if we're going to nitpick in the Georgia State offense so far, which it is picking into some nits uh, because it's been a good performance to two games, the longest run of the year has been 22 yards and the longest pass play has been 44 yards. And I think that if Western Michigan comes in showing aggressive fronts and, you know, Coach Glenn play calls against it smartly or if Dan makes a read at the line and they get the right play where – 
they catch Western Michigan going over aggressive, there might be the chance for legitimate, you know, 60, 70, 80 yard plays for Georgia state. And it, it's going to be something for me to watch just because 16 play drives are nice, but it's also nice to go, you know, one play 80 yards and swing the momentum. So that's what I'm going to be looking for from the offense. I guess I have to pick something else to look for, but I know what it is. And that's just the turnover battle for both sides of the ball. Through two games, Georgia State has been really good at not turning the ball over. They only have one. Um, And they have picked up three turnovers themselves. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see. And hopefully they can continue to replicate that. Uh, especially in Western Michigan, because you don't want to give the ball to your opponent more than you have to. And, you know, especially some costly turnovers in the red zone. You obviously want to avoid that so you can put points on the board. But even if you're deep in your own territory, you know, giving a quarterback like Wasink the ball with your defense close to their goal that they have to defend, it could make for a very long day. And I started this off by talking about the momentum and that 2-0 is a big deal. 3-0 would be an even bigger deal for the program. And also going on the road in this, making it two road wins out of the first three and going kind of a travel up to Michigan from Georgia, a team that's favored by 11. And I should say that if I'm Coach Elliott, I'm happy to be the team that's an 11-point underdog rather than an 11-point favorite because that's just easier to motivate as a coach goes. But going into this game and getting a big road win and making it three and O going into the first conference game against Texas state next week, that would just be massive. I mean, that's your halfway to bowl eligibility through three huge conference game. Yeah. That's huge. Ultimately. I think that we can say every week that this next game is going to be the biggest test that Georgia state has faced so far. But I think that this specific game is in a pretty unique situation of the team has a lot of momentum and a lot of momentum this early in the year is never something that Georgia State really has ever had to deal with, if I could be as bold as to say that. But I am really interested to see how Coach Elliott's team responds to the challenge that the coaching staff, I'm sure, is issuing them this week. But the opportunity to start 3-0 and for the very first time in program history, halfway to bowl eligibility before we enter Sunbelt play. I'm really excited for this game. And if Georgia State can execute on the things that we mentioned earlier and limit the mistakes in the defense, I think that Georgia State has as good a chance as any to go up to Western Michigan and come away with a W. That being said, we're going to throw it to Jordan, who's got some very exciting kind of housekeeping, administrative, and general Thursday night news. Thanks, guys. Even though I couldn't be there for recording, I wanted to jump in and let everyone know about some exciting stuff we have coming up here at Thursday night. First things first, now that football season has started, we've really ramped up our coverage. We're working to develop a weekly routine so that our readers and listeners can know what to expect. So here's what it looks like during football season. Each game week is going to consist of seven regular features. The podcast, game previews on our website, live tweeting during the game and press conferences when possible, game recaps on our website as soon as possible post-game, photo albums of the action and atmosphere, highlight videos, and upon further review. The exact timing of some of these depends on our availability and other factors, but generally speaking, you can expect game previews to go up one to two days prior to the game, photo albums either the following day or later in the week, and highlight videos as soon as possible pending the footage availability. Upon further review is designed as a Monday feature and most likely will live there during football season. Make sure you like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to us on YouTube so you don't miss anything. And second, something we're particularly excited about merchandise. I imagine there's at least one person listening right now asking, why in the world are you making merchandise? Well, the simple answer is this. 
The four of us are volunteering our time and talents because we're passionate about Georgia State and passionate about creating the best content we can. All of us have full-time jobs outside of this, and I personally have invested a significant amount of money into web hosting, software licensing, equipment, and other things to do this the right way from the start. We'd love to expand our coverage and compete with mainstream media. Ultimately, our long-term goal is to cover every major Georgia State sporting event, both home and away, with the same quality and consistency you'd expect from the likes of anything you'd see on television or hear on terrestrial radio. That kind of thing requires significant expense and time that isn't sustainable without an income stream to support things like transportation and overnight lodging. And for me personally, fewer things disappoint me more online than seeing an interesting article with the catchy headline linked somewhere only to be greeted with a subscribe to unlock this content pop-up. And there's merit to those kinds of things. Of course, quality journalists deserve to be paid for quality work. I'm not talking about websites that put a small selection of their best work behind a paywall to encourage contributions. I'm talking about websites where every single thing requires a subscription and being logged into access. We don't want Thursday night to turn into that. I'm much more of the belief that providing everything we do for free out in the open is the right thing to do. I want to create an avenue for people who want to contribute to our growth to be able to do so, but not at the expense of free and open access to our content. And that's where merch comes in. If you see something you like, you can purchase a quality product at a reasonable price and receive something you can be proud to wear or use, and know that your money goes to cover expenses and help us create the best content we can. That's it. No get-rich-quick schemes, no outrageously priced t-shirts, no BS. Obviously, for legal reasons, we can't make or sell anything with the university trademarks, at least not yet. Licensing is something that takes a lot of time and work to do properly and legally, and to be honest, we're not at a place yet where that's possible. But what we do have is our own brand and some other fun ideas that we can make moves with right now. We'll be putting out a small selection of items for pre-order on our website in the next week or so. We're working on sourcing quality items from local Atlanta businesses. So if you work in that industry and want to partner with us, let's talk. Email us at thursdaynight at gmail.com. Well, I think that just about covers everything for this week. Thank you very much for listening to the Thursday Night Podcast. For the entire team, Brady, David, and Taylor, my name is Jordan, and this has been the Thursday Night Podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week.